1: So have you ever found yourself stuck in the endless cycle of indecision, kind of unable to make a choice and constantly seeking input from others? Well, what if I told you that the key to making better decisions lies not necessarily with others or more data or more input, but with you and that decision by committee might not actually be the best approach. In this episode of Spark, we dive into the art of decision-making and explore the different types of decision-makers out there. From mavens who seek more information to spontaneous decision-makers who rely on their gut feelings, we talk about the pros and cons of each approach and provide insights into how to make better decisions. Our guest for this episode is Karen Wright. Karen is the founder of Parachute Executive Coaching, acclaimed executive coach advisor to senior leaders for more than two decades, and the author of two great books, The Accidental Alpha Woman and The Complete Executive. Drawing on years of her experience, Karen shares her wisdom on decision making and explains why it's essential to trust yourself when making choices. We also explore the dangers of decision by committee and how to take ownership of your decisions when they're not popular. And throughout this conversation, we'll reveal the five most important takeaways. So, whether you're a spontaneous decision maker or a careful planner in this episode, there's something for everyone. Tune in to learn more about the art of decision-making and how to make better choices for yourself and your business. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Spark.
0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear
1: ability to... If you
0: want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One.
1: Karen Wright, I am excited to dive into this conversation. We are weaving in these kind of fun, different versions of episodes where, of course, we will still be talking to questions from our community and sharing ideas. But today we get to actually dive deep into one particular topic. And we've talked about different topics over the time, and one that has kind of been batted uh, around a little bit, and we have also addressed it in different ways, but we've never really gone deep into it, is this notion of when things come your way, how do you really understand what to say yes or no to, when, why? Um, there's a lot of mythology. There are a lot of proclamations about like how to do this. There are a lot of absolutes so we're going to dive in a little bit today. Sounds fun. So maybe a fun way to tee it up, um, and we can keep this as anonymous as you want in terms of these circumstances, but I know that you have recently um, had a situation that led you to a moment where you had to really figure out whether to say yes or no to it. Can you tee that up in a way that um, would kind of like plant the seeds? And then we'll, we'll dive in and probably expand on that.
0: I mean, I... I can talk about situations, both business and personal, but the most recent one was business, where I, my company was invited into a process of being considered for the delivery of some workshops for a very big global company for their internal women's network, which is, you know, an important initiative and something that we really believe in and want to support. Uh, and so, it was an opportunity to have some impact. It was an opportunity to get several members of my team involved, which is always a kind of project that I'm really interested in. It was an opportunity to get some um, public connection with a very high profile, big company. And so when I first got the email, it was a very much a, you know, we're just starting to scout. This is kind of what we're looking for. Are you interested? And how would you go about pricing it? Which I responded to, which got me to a first conversation. First conversation was... Lovely. And, you know, the budget was not really quite where I would have hoped it would be for something like this. But I said, we'd still be interested as long as it could be scoped in a way that kept it um, manageable and sort of within reasonable bounds. And earlier this week, I had the shortlist conversation, which was a panel. So there was my original contact, a more senior person and a more junior person. And it was booked for 45 minutes, Uh, about 20 minutes in, it was clear to me, And I'll tell you in a minute how it became clear to me, but it was clear to me this was not going to be something that we could do well, be successful at, or be happy doing. And so before the conversation was over, I thanked them for their time and and exited as gracefully as I possibly could. So yeah, so high profile, lots of impact in an area that is valuable and important and necessary, and um, in many respects, a really hard thing to walk away from, but just with the personalities that were involved and what they were asking for, what their expectations were. One of the people on my team, when I told them about the decision that I'd made, she said, it didn't sound like it was a fair exchange of energy.
1: Mm, it's an interesting way to put it. <laughs>
0: I loved it. That helps so much. I mean, for me, the clue was that as the conversation was going on, that my physical reaction, my physical stress level was I could feel it creeping up. You know, I could feel tightness in my chest and I could feel my throat constricting. And like every physical signal in my body was saying, no, no, no. And yet logically on paper, there was all kinds of good reason to do it. So I described myself afterwards as feeling a little vomity, but clear.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and ethically good. Um,
0: yeah, very much.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is really interesting because I, uh, I think if you're around more than a heartbeat in a career or in your own business, you will bump up into situations where it's a really clear no, it's a really clear yes. But in my experience, those are the vast minority of moments. Like so much more often, you're sort of like navigating that middle ground where you're right. kind of figuring out like, you know, almost like making your list, you know, like on the pros list, the cons list, Um, how do I land with this thing? And I want to actually talk a little bit about some of the decision making criteria. Like how do you actually understand like what makes sense? Like what should I be looking at or feeling into using a little bit more woo woo language um when I'm <laughs> making these decisions? Like what's the hard data? What's the soft data? But before we get there I actually want to I want to float something else with you because in this domain of trying to figure out what do I say no to and what do I say yes to um often we're offered these absolutes i'm on the yes train like i'm on the no train um like everything and we've heard like literally um you know for the next six months every single thing is going to be yes and some are going to blow up and that's going to be okay or for the next year it's it's an absolute no and that's just the way it is what's your take on sort of like stepping into an absolute decision making mode like that
0: i think it's risky in both directions Um, I mean, for me, in part, I think you have to consider what's your normal default, because I do know people that say no a lot. And so someone like that might really benefit from some period of time where they say yes to more things. So I think there's a little bit of self-reflection that has to go into that. But I don't know. I just can't imagine a world where it would make sense on a number of levels to go one absolute direction or another for anything other than a fairly short period of time. I mean, Shonda Rhimes wrote a book about the year of yes. I mean, okay, (laughs) but I don't know. What do you think?
1: I'm kind of with you. I don't, I I do have a default state and you know this about me. Um, (laughs) And for many, many years, my default state was yes to learning more, um, So I'd pretty much be an automatic yes to learning more yeah. unless there was a glaring, glaring reason not to. And then it would kind of like take it as it, you know, like as I learn more, does it make sense for me? But my opening, my default initial thing was yes to learning more. And I think that served me really well for a certain season of life and business.
0: Sure.
1: My default state now is, is no, but. <laughs> <laughs> Like no, but open to being convinced. Um, okay. And, and the reason for me is it's purely it's survival. You know, well, I mean, coming
0: at you, you yeah, because I'm, you're public, right? You are a public figure. You get a lot coming at you.
1: Right, and and I'm I'm very blessed. I'm very fortunate. I'm in a moment, in my career, in my life, where there are, there are a lot of possibilities and and people in my inboxes and DMs and all the different places all day every day and yeah i and, and I'm also at the same time, I'm clear on my values. I'm clear on what matters to me. I'm clear on how much bandwidth emotional, cognitive creative my current yeses are going to take. yeah and that is already a multiple of what I actually have to offer.
0: Yes, we know that about you too <laughs>
1: right so and to my detriment, you know um so so for me like i've I've shifted to a default no mode because literally I just know that I can fill the next chunk of years with never saying yes to anything new and knowing that I'm still going to allocate the vast majority of my waking hours to things that I'm genuinely interested in creating and relationships I'm genuinely interested in, in in nourishing and I'm okay with that. And that means also me getting okay with a certain amount of knowing that I'm missing out on different things. Um, being Being
0: okay with that for sure. That
1: said the no, but part is, you know, like, I can sometimes be nudged, but that is not always a good thing. <laughs> you know, because if I say yes at at this point at a hundred percent capacity, and I'm talking about nudge, you know, if I look at the capacity for relationships, for health, for well being, for space, for business, I'm at a hundred percent. I'm well beyond that. Um mm-hmm. so for me to actually back away from a no, um, means that I have to I have to jettison something. Yeah. Um, well, and
0: that's a very fundamental time and energy management principle that you have to start with at any given point in time, you are filling 24 hours, seven days a week, you're filling it up with something. And if you're going to add something in, you have to figure out where that time comes from. And that's our friend Charlie would, would go along on that one, you know, too many projects, right?
1: Yeah, that said, you know, there are moments where things ease up and for a, a lot of amazing folks who are listening to this there they may you may be in a window right now where you're actually like you know what i'm actually really open to new things to reimagining to new conversations to new exploring things and for for folks who are in that space which i think these days is a lot of people um there're a lot of people exploring like what is my next thing yeah how do you step into sort of like saying weighing what's coming your way in a way, if, if we say that, you know, like if you're in this moment of imagining or opening or transitioning, then I think, it, you know, it doesn't make sense to be a default no or default yes. You just sort of like you're open, right? Open to experience. We know that's one of the big five personality traits that leads yeah. to a lot of good stuff. What's your lens on sort of like how to, how to suss out um, what to say yes or no to when you're sort of in that space?
0: Well, I think one starting strategy is to shake yourself up a little bit, because what's that Einstein? Is it Einstein that said you can't make a you can't solve a problem from the same state of mind that created it or something like that? I forget. I'm, I'm messing up the quote, but, you know, but if you're always getting up at the same time and eating the same breakfast and going to the current work the same way, you know, if you're doing all the things the same way all the time, I don't know how you come up with any new ideas or or check your responses. To new stimulations. So one exercise I'll often have clients do is, is a day where you do everything differently and just, mm. just to shake yourself up a little bit, just to see how it feels. I do have a very slightly risky, but very funny story of a client, senior level executive woman who I had this conversation with and she was very much disciplined and routine. And, you know, because it takes a lot of that to get to the place she was, but she was really feeling stale and stuck and unsure about how to move forward into her next move so I said okay take a day and do it all differently get up on a different side of the bed wear a different outfit um, everything you can think of do it differently she said okay sounds like a great idea so she took that away as her homework and so the next time I saw her I said so how did it go and she said well I did everything differently and I had one major revelation I said what's that she said I don't think song underwear is the way to go (laughs) Okay. Well, that's one conclusion anyways. <laughs> Took one set of decisions off the table.
1: <laughs> it, it was a learning experience. Really Check was. that box.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it really was. <laughs> but in all seriousness, that that shaking yourself up a little bit is one way into how can I tell what's useful or important? Um, for me, another way is, and you mentioned values earlier, another way at this is to um, figure out what your rock bottom minimum non-negotiables are. And sometimes people do this on an annual basis with sort of words of the year. I can remember one year in my life when I was overwhelmed with a number of things and I sort of pulled back and said, okay, family, health and wealth. Those are the three things I've got to be focused on. If anything else shows up that invites me to spend time, energy, attention, money, whatever, I have to say no. And that helped me that particular time. I don't know if I'd be so rigid now, but in that moment, that was really useful.
1: Yeah, no, I think the value thing is super important. And I love the sort of like all I could kept thinking about as you're describing like that day was like George Costanza's opposites. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like every instinct you have do the exact opposite and see what happens. Um
0: I'm an unemployed man that lives with my mother.
1: <laughs> what could go wrong here? Um So I I love that. And also because, you know, like there's plenty of research that shows that, that over time we like our neural grooves get formed so that we basically default to patterns. We default to behavioral patterns, emotional patterns, cognitive patterns, creative patterns. And often those patterns become constraints and they become constraints that are invisible to us. We don't even realize that they exist and that they are largely determining the scope of what we do, what we say yes or no to, how we make decisions. They just, we don't even know that they're there. And it's sort Mm -hmm. of like... Walking through a day and sort of like, you know, like doing the opposite of all the different things or doing something new and different all the time, it serves as a series of pattern interrupts.
0: It does. Yeah. It you changes know, the neuroplasticity of the brain and you know, neurons that fire together, wire together. And so we have to fire them in a different direction to start minimizing some of those deep grooves that they're in.
1: Yeah. And and I think oftentimes we don't realize the grooves are there until no. we actually test them and we do something yeah. different. We're like, literally, I've, I've done that. Mm-hmm and i have felt the resistance to change
0: it's interesting you know, it?
1: even literally ordering something different for breakfast or you know like i'm going to have oat milk in my coffee instead of it. <laughs> it's almost like there's there's this momentary anxiety of like but this is not my usual thing and I feel like we we just fall into routine and pattern. And yeah. sometimes that's a good thing. You know, it helps us if we're going through stressful moments or you know extended uncertainty and groundlessness. We want a certain amount of knowing what comes next.
0: Yeah, and that can be really helpful. But there right. are times when staying in the same pattern of behavior actually creates a problem you didn't have before. So I just got some food sensitivity results. And there are several things that I am being told I should not eat anymore. And they're the things that I've been eating a lot of. Go figure, right? You know, we build up a response to some of these things over time. I'm sure that applies in other categories.
1: Yeah. So we've talked about pattern interrupts. I, I, I yeah. love that just as a, as a, an experiment, like run it for a day. Yeah, it's fine. Talked about really getting clear on your values um, to understand what to say no to. You brought up something very early in the conversation that I want to circle back to, which is data that we get in the form of visceral responses, because I have the exact same thing happens to me. And I will at times discount it because it's not, it doesn't arrive through a quote, cognitive or rational or analytical process. Tell me more about like the way that this lands with you. What are you actually talking about when you say like, you know, it in your bones or in your body?
0: Well, I think in the academic field, this would be your somatic response, right? So it's whatever's going on in your body. And we all have it. And if I ask you, you know, when you start to feel uncomfortable, where do you feel it in your body? And so I might feel it in my chest. You might feel it in the back of your neck, you know, so everyone's got a different place where they feel tension. Um, but I mean, I talk about important decisions as being equal parts art and science. So yes, absolutely collect the data, but then, you know, put the data aside get quiet. And that's a big factor is get quiet and notice what's going on in your body. If you start, you know, leaning one way or another, what starts to happen? What do you feel? Um, You can feel that when people come into your field, right? There are certain people that create an uncomfortable physical response and others where you feel ease. And these are, I think, there are this set of responses and reactions that I think we largely ignore and probably have gotten further away from with, you know, technology and how much information gets passed around so quickly and the pressure of other people and all of that sort of thing. But I just think the more we get quiet and actually notice our physical being and our physical response to something, I think it tells us a lot
1: yeah no, I completely agree i've I've learned to tune into my body a lot as yeah. and I literally will validate it as you know like a central data point in decision making like am I saying yes or no to so if i if I'm looking at like a term sheet or a deal or potential collaboration right, yeah. and your you know, big new corporate client comes in, I'll look at it and I'll say on paper. This looks really good. Right. I can literally check off all of the benefits, just like what you were describing, like the bid process you went through, like check, 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 check. Wouldn't it be great to actually be in business with this organization, with their reputation, with the type of work? But at the same time, if my body is is physically if my if my stomach starts to turn in knots, right. then- I won't automatically say no, but I will I will include that as an equally valid data point in my decision making process and yeah, say yeah. what's actually happening here. Like yeah. I may not understand why I'm reacting that way, but something there's something that may exist on a a less than obvious level that okay. is giving me cues that something is not quite right. Absolutely. And I'll try and I'll try and go into that and, and figure yeah. out what it is.
0: Yeah. When I've got clients trying to make a big decision, oftentimes about a promotion or, or a career move, I ask them to make three lists, the musts, the shoulds, and the nice to haves. Hmm. And the musts and the shoulds are very brain-based. It's got to be within a certain geography. It's got to have a certain salary. It's, you know, all of those things. When It's only when we get to the nice to haves that I can really start to dig into how does it, how do you need it to feel? You know, what does it need to look like? What do you, what do you smell? What does it sound like? You know, I really sort of ask about the feeling states. And what I find is that oftentimes I'll get a client who's absolutely rock solid, determined to um, say yes to something, even though it doesn't hit all of the musts and the shoulds and it's well, and we need to go looking at those because we probably got the wrong list. If you're, if there's something in your body saying yes, 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 but the brain based lists we made aren't matching up, we've got the wrong lists.
1: Mm, yeah, and I think part of what we're circling around too with all of this, so we're talking about different criteria, values, visceral responses. Um, and you planted the seed a couple of minutes ago in the conversation is also there's sort of there there is a meta skill to to decision making, and that is awareness. That's right. Um, you know, so it's really hard to understand what to say yes or no to, whether something is or isn't right for you. If you don't actually have even a baseline level of awareness of both your inner experience, and that could be emotional, physical, uh, your your chatter in your brain, and the external experience, like what are you actually observing in the dynamic that is around you, the circumstance, yes. the social dynamic that's happening? Right. Yeah. And I feel like when it comes to effective decision-making, understanding what to say yes and no to, we don't center that as a skill nearly enough. What What's your take on that?
0: I agree. And not only that, I think that if we haven't developed that level of personal awareness and any sort of a reflective practice that has us checking in with ourselves frequently, then I think not only are we missing out on some important personal data, but I think we become more vulnerable to the opinions of others. Hmm. I think that starts to allow more noise. in. I think it's only when you've got real kind of courage of conviction and self-awareness. It's, I think you've only, that's only when, when you've got the sort of defense system in place to say, no, I, I I hear you, but no, that's not right for me.
1: That is such an interesting point. So it's like, if we don't really, if we're not really clear on, on how we feel and our perception of what's going on, we're more likely to then just hear somebody else and say, sounds reasonable enough. Sure. That's. Maybe that's the way I feel too, um, rather than actually, so we're, that's really interesting. I never really thought about it that way, but it makes a lot of sense.
0: You mean you don't listen when people tell you how to feel about something?
1: <laughs> Depends who's telling me.
0: <laughs> True enough.
1: <laughs> there's one other thing that popped into my head as I was thinking about this and we talked about the extreme, but there's, there's this thing that has been floating around in books and the internet for quite a long time. And it's this phrase, it's either a hell yes or no. So we talked about like the defaults. Um, um What do you think about that as a standard?
0: Exceptions to every rule. What's that thing? Everything in moderation except moderation. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I don't know. I do think that checking in with yourself to feel whether it's a hell yes or a hell no. But again, we're, you know, it's that gray area. And we talked about that at the beginning of the conversation that These days, there's so much gray and it's so hard to just say, well, this is absolutely this or this is absolutely that. I just think very few things are that cut and dried. I mean, certainly if it's not a hell yes, then it's worth a, okay, let me think about it or um, maybe willing to learn more. Right. But I don't know. I I hesitate to go real black and white on very many things. I mean, some are obvious if it's a real moral situation, then I I would hope it's a hell yes or a hell no. But. Oh, beyond that,
1: I'm not so sure. How about you? Yeah, uh, I'm completely in agreement with you, and and I've I've been thinking about this because I think there was a chunk of time where, I, like, I, I remember first reading that and actually remember like where I read it, and I was like, yes, that sounds amazing. Like that, like I've got to be ultra passionate about it. And I've got to be all in about it, or else it's just not worth it. And then I started, you know, with a little bit of seasoning, um, <laughs> time away from, uh-huh. I started thinking about some of the most truly nourishing experiences and relationships in my life. And they were absolutely not a hell yes in the beginning. Oh, that's interesting. They were a hell maybe. I was like, well, this could be an interesting relationship. Like maybe I could be a friend with this person. Maybe we have a long-term relationship. Maybe I've fallen in love. But it was like, there was a hesitation. There's like, I I don't quite know yet. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm interested in learning more. I'm interested in like gathering more data. I'm interested in trying it a little bit, giving it a trial run or whatever it may be. But I don't, like, I'm not getting that response in my body, or I'm not, I don't know the initial like data alignment or value alignment, or just like, I must do this. It's And yet those turned into some of the most beautiful, sustained, nourishing relationships in my life, some of the most powerful, transformative experiences in my life. And they absolutely did not start with that standard. But I was just, I was willing enough to say, well, maybe, it was like a hell maybe
0: so this, I think for me, at least opens up a whole other aspect of this idea of decision making, and that is the value of time.
1: Mm.
0: And so, you know, we're in a culture where it's pretty much expected that you're able to make decisions just, you know, in a snap that you've got, you turn things around quickly and you respond fast and the time's running out and there's only so many of these left and whatever it is. Right. And I think that the more we, allow something to grow or or uh, invest the time in nurturing something or um, getting to know something or someone. I think that's when we uncover possibilities that just aren't evident on the surface. So I mean, I would hope that I would love it if more people were more willing to do that with other humans and just say, you know, okay, you know what, you're different than me. And that confuses me a little bit. But let's take some time. Wouldn't it be great to get to know each other?
1: yeah I think there's so much value in creating the space to investigate a little bit yeah. not not all the time. there will be things where it's like absolutely yes or absolutely no, but absolutely, yeah for sure, but there there will be moments where it just does make sense to go a little slower and explore sure. a little bit more um and at the same time, you bring up the issue of time. I think there's also the risk of the exact opposite, which is, I just need a little bit more time. And then a month later, it's like, just a little bit more time. And then a year later, it's like, I'm almost there. Like, I just need like a little bit more, like, because like, time can either bring um, clarity, or it can bring um, paralysis and fear.
0: Too much data. No. Well, and for me that I can, I can map some of that to... Personality types and communication style types. And there are people whose nature is such that more information is better. And in its extreme form, there is never enough information. And so those are people that benefit from no, there's an actual cutoff. You know, there's at some point you just got to say yes or no based on whatever you have available. And there are other types that might be a little too impulsive and a little too rash. And, you know, so I think that's another piece of the puzzle. It's not the same rule can't apply to everybody because we're all wired differently and we process differently
1: yeah completely agree and I've even seen some mapping with this these tendencies and actually the sparkotypes the different impulses like Absolutely. I'm a maker yeah. like at maker basically i just want to be in motion I just want to be generous. i just want to be doing the thing so my impulse is actually to just to 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 make the decision quickly and deal with it if I'm wrong <laughs> <love> whereas <laughs> you know somebody who is a maven just like there there can be a tendency I just need more information I don't right. have I'm not at the level of complete insight yet where I can actually make the call. I
0: know there's more. I must consume it.
1: (laughs) Right. Which is also can be an excuse to just stay in the space of learning rather than like, you know, like being decisive in a way that would take them out of a learning process. So, so it's been interesting because over time we actually have been able to map these tendencies, not universally, but to a certain extent to the different types of sparkotypes and impulses for work too. So it's interesting that you bring that up. Well, uh, I think we've talked about some really interesting things here in terms of like how to make those decisions for those who are in that moment where they actually, they want to let ideas in, they want to let possibilities and opportunities in. And, and what do I touch into to actually help figure out the risk, the danger of absolutes and the value, and also things to be on alert with around time. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap?
0: I think trust yourself. Hmm. rather than solicit too many opinions from too many other people depending on the decision and who it affects but i think um there's real value and if you spend a little time and go inward a little bit and come up with an answer it's probably your answer
1: yeah decision by committee um oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're the decision by committee, when everyone in the committee is affected by the decision directly is one thing. Decision by committee, when you're the one who actually is going to bear either the brunt or the the grace of the decision, that is an entirely different proposition. Um, and sometimes we have trouble distinguishing between those.
0: Yeah. I know decision ownership is a big thing we talk about in executive coaching and the corporate work. Like who owns the decision? It's their job to solicit input and then own the decision, your job is to give the input when invited and let them own the decision.
1: Yeah. And, and I think sometimes we actually, we seek decision by committee because we want to spread responsibility. If it goes south, it yeah. wasn't just, it wasn't just me. Like we all, don't you remember in the room, we all agreed to this, <laughs> Um yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is, it gets it gets fraught when you're in those situations. But um maybe, maybe maybe that's that's conversation for like a part two of this. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, I look
0: forward to that one.
1: <laughs> Multi person decision making processes. Um awesome. <laughs> Karen, thank you as always. It's great hanging out and learning from you and to our fantastic sport community here. Love you guys. We hope that you're benefiting from these and excited to continue to share more of these topical deep dives along with our conversations around questions submitted by you, our fantastic listening community. We'll see you next time here on sport. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive in work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life. Take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Spark